Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we praise you, Lord, that your truth uh, will prevail as we've just sung, that in this world where we have a, an enemy who would want to bring us down and undo the work of the kingdom, we know that he will not prevail, that your kingdom is forevermore. Uh, Lord, help us to be aware of this battle and to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what we have to fight in this spiritual battle. And we pray, Lord, that you would equip us so that we can live all of life in light of the, the gospel of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So we're in a series in Colossians, and uh, we're getting to the end of it, but the theme of Colossians, as I've tried to remind you every week, is that we are complete in Christ. That everything we need to be right with God and to live a fruitful life, it's all ours in Christ. That to be in Christ is to be complete for all of eternity. And in chapter 3, we, we looked at how being complete in Christ is to shape the way that we live as a church, so our relationships together here. Uh, we looked last week at how the gospel, or being complete in Christ, is to shape our homes, uh, in, in our marriages, in our parenting. And today, we come to the part where Paul describes how it should shape bond servants and masters. <laughs> bond servants and masters. Now, it might seem a little bit strange for Paul to go from marriage to family to bond servants, uh, but you need to remember that Paul was writing in the first century in a Roman uh, context, and in that Roman culture, bond servants were a normal part of a household. So marriages, families, bond servants, that's because that's how houses were structured back then. Uh, you'd have uh, spouses, you'd have children, and then you'd have a whole host of domestic servants. Uh, who took care of all of those domestic duties that uh, needed to be done. And so here's Paul, he's addressing the household. How does the gospel work out in your homes? And so that's why he has to include bondservants and masters. And so the passage, it begins in verse 22, where Paul says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And right away, this actually creates a bit of a problem for us today because what is a bondservant and what does that have to do with us? In fact, it creates an even stickier problem because the word bondservant is actually a translation of a Greek word that means a slave. And many people are very quick to jump on the fact that Paul, because he says slaves obey your earthly masters and everything, 
many people are quick to jump on that and say, hang on a minute, why is Paul condoning slavery? I mean, why doesn't Paul tell slaves to stand up and revolt? Why does he tell masters? Well, why doesn't he tell masters to set their slaves free? Why is he condoning this slave system? And so this passage and others like it are often uh, cited as evidence that the Bible condones slavery. And therefore the argument goes uh, that this proves that the Bible writers uh, were stuck in their times, that they were constrained by their own cultural outlook, which bound them to endorse something that we now know is morally evil. And then the argument goes one step further to say, therefore, if the Bible writers got it wrong about slavery, then they must have also got it wrong on many other issues where our culture is now more enlightened. And so this is something that's routinely used to dismiss the Bible as irrelevant, particularly when it speaks into ethical issues and particularly when it speaks into the issues of gender roles and sexuality. This is the one that they say, aha, see, the Bible was culturally bound. We're more enlightened now. Therefore, we can throw that part away. So what do we say to this? Well, first, we need to stop and go, what is this passage actually about? Here is Paul. What is the purpose of this passage? He's writing to Christians in Colossae in that first century. And he's, he's writing to households. He's not addressing the institution of slavery. Uh, in that Roman culture, there, there was uh, slavery. About a third of the population were slaves at that time. But Paul is not writing about slavery. What he's doing, he's, he's speaking to Christians in that church at Colossae. And he's saying, how is it that you can live out the gospel in your day-to-day -day life, in whatever situation you find yourself in. And because some of the church members there, like Onesimus, were slaves, then Paul's saying, okay, you in your situation, here's how you live out the gospel. And so that doesn't mean he's condoning slavery. It'd be like, you know, let's, let's say you were an expert in growing um, vegetables and crops and you gave some advice on how to grow uh, vegetables safely in polluted soil. And then someone came along and go, why are you condoning pollution? It doesn't follow. That's just the circumstances that you have to deal with. And that's what's going on here. The circumstances uh, that there was slavery in that culture, Paul is showing slaves how they can live out their faith as slaves. Now, Another thing we need to understand is that slavery in the first century Roman Empire was very different to what modern people think about when we hear the word slavery. So if, you've, if you're like me, you've probably seen plenty of movies over the years that depict 19th century slavery in America. And uh, it was horrendous. You know, it was a horrible, cruel, brutal, unjust, unjust system, a huge blight. Uh, on American history, and it's something that, you know, America is still feeling the effects of that cruel, evil system in 19th century America. They're still feeling the effects. The Black Lives Movement 
is the effects of that awful system. But you need to understand, back in first century Roman Empire, uh, the institution of slavery was very, very different. It wasn't based on race. It wasn't based on kidnapping. It wasn't based on uh, lifelong bondage. It wasn't as cruel. It was vastly different. And this is actually why the ESV uses the word bondservant rather than slave. And if you read the preface in the um, ESV translation, they actually explain that the word bondservant better fits the historical context. Uh, because in the Roman Empire, a bondservant was someone uh, who was contracted to serve their master just for a set time, uh, seven years usually. And it was something that people, they would enter into, and then once that set time was completed, they were set free. Uh, this is something that people could voluntarily enter into if they had a debt to pay off. And that's not to say that it was good to be a slave back then. It wasn't. Uh, even though the system wasn't as bad as um, some more modern uh, approaches, uh, it was still a form of human bondage, which is wrong. And no doubt some Roman masters were cruel and unjust in their treatment of their slaves. But as a whole, it was a whole lot different to some of the brutal forms that have been practiced throughout history ever since. And here Paul is showing believers who happen to be in that system how to live, how to live out their faith. And another thing we need to realize, when you actually look at what Paul says to slaves and masters, he, you realize, okay, he's not overtly attacking the slavery system, but he's not condoning it. In fact, he's undermining it. Everything he says to slaves and masters gives a whole new way of thinking a completely revolutionary, revolutionary way of thinking about slaves and masters. <clears throat> and so everything Paul says in this passage, it was like sending a Trojan horse into the slave system in that Roman Empire that would completely undermine it from the inside. I mean, the very fact that Paul is addressing slaves uh, was completely unique. Slaves were considered just property. They don't need advice. They just need to do what they're told. <laughs> but Paul addresses them because he sees them not as property, but as people with dignity and with rights. And so what Paul says, it gives a whole new way of thinking. The gospel, when the gospel comes to life, it brings freedom in bondage even. <clears throat> And so as we look at the details of this passage, we'll see how Paul subverts the slave system in what he says. But at the same time, a more important question is, what is this passage saying to us today? What do some instructions to first century uh, slaves and masters have to say to us today? And we need to remember, <clears throat> Paul is showing the Colossians how to live out the gospel in day-to-day -day life. How to live out the gospel, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning, on Tuesday, Wednesday, right through the whole week. So that all of life is about living out who you are in Christ. And what we see in this passage is that Paul lays down two principles that are directly applicable to the way that we work today. This is a passage about work. 
And whether that's paid work or unpaid work, uh, this passage tells us how the gospel transforms our work. And obviously bond servants and masters are very different to um, employees and employers, but there is some overlap. And we can see that the principles that Paul lays down here, they do apply to employers and employees. And so this should actually be a pretty exciting sermon today. You know, bond servants, masters, that sounds boring. No, no, it's about work. That's exciting, and do you know why? Because all of you here work. All of you do work, some form of work, even those who are retired. You do work. You do daily tasks. So here's a, we don't normally get sermons on work, um, but for many of you, it's actually the main thing you do in life. And here is, how does the gospel transform your work? Here it is today. So this is exciting. Uh, let's have a look. How does the gospel transform work? Two principles. The first one is stated in verses 23 to 24. Let's have a look at those uh, verses. He says, whatever you do, whether, uh, sorry, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay, listen to those key phrases. Work as for the Lord. And that one at the end of verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. Now think about who did Paul originally write that to? He wrote that to people who did things like cleaning a stable, uh, sweeping a gutter, digging a ditch, planting vegetables, washing clothes, building, sweeping, cooking, all of these tasks. I mean, whatever it was that a bond servant did back then, no matter how menial it was, no matter how tedious or grotty or insignificant, Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, this is a whole new way of thinking about life, a whole new way. Uh, because normally we use this kind of language, this, this you are serving the Lord Christ, work as for the Lord. Normally we only use that sort of language for church work and missionary work. Okay, we, we say, you know, a, a full-time minister, he's serving the Lord. Or a Sunday school teacher, they're serving the Lord. Going on a short-term mission trip, wow, they're serving the Lord. And yet Paul, he says to first century Roman slaves, the common workforce of that empire, you are serving the Lord. Do you see how radical this is? It actually turns out that we tend to have a dichotomy in the way we think about life that the Bible doesn't have. You know, we tend to think in terms of the secular and the sacred. We talk about secular work. And we talk about sacred work. You know, we think God is involved with our church work and our mission work. But when it comes to all the other things that the majority of Christians do in life, we think, well, God doesn't really have much to do with that. He's not really interested in that. He's only interested in church work. But that's actually not a biblical way of thinking, as this passage teaches us. See, the gospel that Colossians has been teaching, the gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He rules over everything. 
and he's the only saviour. And when you come to him in repentance and faith, you are transferred, chapter 1, verse 14, you're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun. And now every part of your life is under Christ, under King Jesus, the true master. All of life is about serving him. And that's why Paul can say, whatever you do, whatever you do, notice how open-ended that is. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, you are serving the Lord Christ. Do you see how that gives new meaning and purpose to the things you do in life? Uh, if you have a job, think about your job. That's not just a job. That is a calling. Christ has called you to serve him in the work that you do, in the actual work you do. You see, when we think about serving Christ in the workplace, we tend to think that the only way to do that is by evangelising the other workmates. And so we make sure we work with integrity because we don't want to undermine our witness. And that's, you know, you must do that. That's very good. But this passage is saying more than that. You can serve the Lord in your work in the actual work you do. Uh, and it's not just certain jobs. Uh, it's easy for us probably to see how a job that relieves suffering, like a healthcare worker, or um, you know, working in aged care, you know, caring for others. It's easy to see how that could be seen as serving Jesus because that kind of reminds us of the way Jesus looked after people. And so we can see how that's serving Jesus or you know, w working for an aid organisation, uh, delivering bottles of water in, um, what is it, Tonga. Uh, we can see, yeah, that, that looks like serving Jesus. But it's more than that. It's whatever you do. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. So whether you're a builder or a plumber, a student or a teacher, uh, whether you're an Uber driver or a shelf stacker, a lawyer, a pool renovator, a full-time mum, a carer, all of these jobs are under the Lordship of Jesus and he uses what you do for the common good. See, it's whatever you do. And so that is actually speaking to all of you in this room, whatever you do. See whether your work is paid or unpaid. If you're a volunteer in some way, whatever you do. If you're retired but you do odd jobs, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so that means that what you do tomorrow morning actually has meaning and value beyond just getting a job done. It has, it has purpose beyond just earning a living. The real purpose of your work is you are serving the Lord Jesus. Working well in your job. Doing a good job. Turning up to work on time. Working diligently. All of that pleases Jesus because you are working for him. You are serving him. And unlike our culture, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't peg your value as a worker on the size of your paycheck. He doesn't value doctors, but not so much shelf stackers. He's not like that. He values whatever you do, 
Work heartily because you're serving Jesus. And so we see here, the gospel shows us that Jesus redeems work. Did you know that God created us to work? That work was part of his good creation? He put Adam in the garden and said, till the soil, you know, prune the roses. Uh, that was before sin came into the world. It was a, part, a good part of, a, well, a part of God's good creation. And then the earth was cursed. Through Adam's disobedience, sin came into the world and, and as a result, God cursed the earth and that brought toil. Now that's what Solomon complains about in Ecclesiastes. You know, work is frustrating. It's so tedious. You work all your life and it all comes to nothing. Some other ratbag gets to enjoy all the, the toil that you did and they don't appreciate it. And, and so, you know, sin comes into the world, makes work a burden. It's frustrating. The machine breaks down constantly. The sun is so hot. Uh, the co-workers are a nuisance. Uh, the boss is overbearing. See, all of these problems that come into work because of sin, because of the fall. Same thing over and over, day after day. And then Jesus comes along. And he's the saviour and the king. And he transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. He is now ruling and reigning. You're now serving him. And so even in the worst conditions, even in the most frustrating job, it's not vanity. It's not without purpose. You are serving the Lord Christ. Do you know the, the, the fact that Paul originally wrote this to um, slaves is probably the most helpful part of the passage because that shows us that he wrote to them in their current situation when their job felt like bondage, because it was, uh, but he wrote to them while, while they were in a job it just felt like, no, I can't get out of this. That's helpful because what if you're in a job today where it just feels like you're stuck and it's, it's not enjoyable? Right? Here's where Christ redeems your work. You are serving the Lord Christ, even if it's difficult. There is purpose in that. Work heartily as to the Lord. See, all of work is about serving Christ. So that's the first gospel principle. Think about that tomorrow morning when you go to work or when you're doing uh, your garden. You're serving the Lord Christ. Work heartily. Okay, the first principle is all of life is serving Jesus. The next one that's in here is that there is only one true master. Okay, there's only one true master. There's only one true boss who really matters, and that is Jesus. And uh, that comes out in a number of places. Uh, the word master and Lord in the passage it's actually the same word in the Greek. So master, Lord, you know, Jesus, earthly master. Uh, there's a, a correlation there. But if we look again at verse 22, it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so we have in that verse a contrast between an earthly master 
and the true master. Which one are the bond servants to fear? The Lord, <laughs> the real master. Uh, so the contrast in this passage is between earthly masters and the heavenly master. And so a bond servant in that culture, there they are, working away each day. But who are they really working for? They're working for Jesus. And so even though they were serving their earthly master, it was really the heavenly master that they were serving. And that wasn't just for bond servants. Masters as well also have a master. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So think about that. Think about the master back then. Uh, to, to be told, you actually have a master in heaven, then what does that make the master? It makes them a slave. <laughs> a slave of Christ, which is the true freedom. Um, but ma both masters and slaves are slaves of Christ or bond servants of Christ and so for the master that was a revolutionary way of thinking about their their servants it, it completely reshapes they go hang on a minute that means I don't have absolute ownership of this slave they actually belong to Jesus and not only that but if my servant has a true master, and I have the same master, then what does that make us in Christ? It makes us equally servants of Jesus. Do you see how Paul subverts the slave system? The gospel reshapes the way we think about each other. And in this case, this has now brought down the master and the servant to be both equal in Christ. But more than that, for us today, to know that Christ is our true master, to know that he is our boss, that actually transforms the way we go about work. See, when we embrace this, when we embrace that Christ is our true boss, that enables us to work with integrity. And that's what Paul means in, in verse 22, that we should work not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, and do you realize that's really practical? It's very practical because if you're in a job where you feel like you're underpaid or underappreciated, then the temptation in that job will be to slacken off. The temptation will be to, to just put in a half-hearted effort. Only work hard when you're being supervised or when a deadline is um, close. But see, if Christ is your true boss, that frees you from being a slacker. And it does that in two ways. Firstly, unlike your earthly boss, Jesus never has his back turned. You know, he sees everything we do. Uh, that's why we must always do a good job. That's why we must work with sincerity of heart or integrity, fearing the Lord. And we, you know, so we should be thinking, hey, Jesus is my boss. He's always watching. Therefore, I should always do a good job. No shoddy work. Always work well, do, do a good job. But second, and here's, here's the greatest incentive to, to not be a slacker, and Jesus is a boss who is extremely generous. Extremely generous. 
Uh, so you may feel like, as a worker, that you're undervalued, underappreciated. But remember, you're serving Christ. He never undervalues. He never underappreciates. So you have a look again at verses 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now, do you notice in these verses, there's two, two rewards or two payments. One reward, one payment is judgment. Verse 25 says, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. See, Christ is perfectly just. There is no partiality with him. He doesn't give someone you know, better treatment because of their status or because of their role. It's the same for everyone. And this is a warning to both the slave and the master. It's saying that Christ will judge the way we work. He will judge the way we treat employees. And so if we're sinning against him without repentance, then we will face judgment. Christ is just. See, that's one reference to payment here. But then the other reference to payment or reward is for those who are reconciled to him, those who through faith have come under his lordship, who are working heartily for him. What is the reward? What is the payment mentioned? It says there in verse 24 that you get the inheritance. The inheritance. What is the inheritance? The inheritance is the new heavens and the new earth. An eternal home. And, you know, it'd be good to have a whole sermon on that because it's a huge theme in the Bible. But let me just tell you what that's worth. It's worth more than all the money in the world. The inheritance. That's what Christ gives you as a reward. So what does this mean? It means that Christ rewards his people not according to their works, but according to grace. See, for those under judgment, how does Christ reward? No partiality. Perfectly just. But for those who belong to him, for those who are his, who are saved, he doesn't pay us what we deserve he pays us according to his abundant generosity. He gives so abundantly. See, to serve Jesus, to serve the true master, it's to be rewarded a trillion times over. That's the kind of master he is. That's, that's the boss that he is. And so from that perspective, let's say that you get that into your heart. And let's say you feel like your earthly boss undervalues you and underappreciates you, doesn't really notice the hard work you do. Do you know, in some ways it doesn't matter anymore because your true boss, the one you're really serving, he does notice. He values. He, he has given you the inheritance. And when you realise that, you realise... Well, that actually frees you. It frees you to work with integrity, because you're serving Jesus, in any condition. In any condition at all. Well, how is it that Jesus can give such a reward? How can he re reward us 
far beyond what we deserve. How can he do it? And the answer is because he first came as our servant. He came as a slave. See, Jesus is the true master who came to serve. That's why I started the service today with that passage in Philippians uh, that says, though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, this is why Jesus can reward you with the inheritance. This is why he can give you what you don't deserve. The reality is we all deserve eternal judgment. But Jesus came as the servant. His work was to go to the cross, take that upon himself. And because he got our judgment, we now get his reward, the inheritance. That's ours by being in Christ. See, that's the master that we have. That's the boss that you're serving. What a privilege it is to work for him. What a joy it is to serve him under any circumstances. And therefore, if this is true, and it is, if the gospel is true, then you must be the most diligent worker. Be the best manager you can be. Be the best contractor. Be the best volunteer. If you're a boss, be a generous boss because that reflects the true boss. Be known as the most honest, humble, most ethical, most competent person in your field. Be known as that. Why? Because you're serving the Lord. He's the true boss who rewards you with the inheritance. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus, the, the true King, the one who does indeed rule and reign over all. And we thank you, Father, for all that we learn about Jesus in this passage, how he is the just judge who, who doesn't treat people uh, in, with uh, partiality, but we thank you that he writes all wrongs no matter who it is. No one gets uh, a privilege in that regard. And we thank you for the peace that that will bring to this world where there is so much inequality, so much oppression, and, and people in power doing all kinds of evil to those without power. We thank you for the hope of uh, Jesus coming again to judge everyone. We thank you that that will mean that this world will be put right once and for all. Father, we thank you that Jesus is also the Saviour, the one who came to reconcile us because we know that we deserve that judgment too, that we've treated people with, with uh, evil intent and uh, in ways that we would be ashamed of if it was publicised. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to serve us by going to the cross to pay for our sin. Uh, we thank you that he has risen again and for the wonder it is to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into your kingdom. So Lord, help us to live as kingdom people, help us to live as servants of Jesus so that even in the way that we work, even in the way that we stack a shelf or um, help someone out, 
or make something, that in whatever we do, that we would remember that we're serving Christ, that we can work heartily, that we would do that with sincerity, uh, that there would be that it would be evident that we want to do a good job, not to impress anyone here, but because we have such a great boss, a, a, such a generous one, one that we can look forward to enjoying the inheritance with him forever. Father, we pray that that would help those who are struggling in their work, uh, that it would give a, a renewed purpose and vision, that it would give strength where there is weariness. Uh, we pray for those who are enduring uh, conflict in work, that the gospel would enable uh, forgiveness to flow freely. We pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, our work in the world, that you would use it to benefit many people because we know that all things are under the sovereignty of the true King, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.